Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome back to another episode of the Damn Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Machado. With me, as always, is our fearless beat writer Carter Baines who has been powering through even though he's got a cold so bear with him today Carter how are you well I'm hanging in there I'm sorry to the listeners I'm not I'm not going to be sounding uh, my best today but I, I think it's excusable because we've got a lot of really fun stuff to talk about uh, I'm in a great mood despite being really severely under the weather right now so uh any anything to to lift my spirits a little bit is much appreciated and the beavers definitely gave me that last night hey and now you get to like we're on zoom and you get to see my smiling face dancing in the background i know missed miss the me. dance moves at, at halftime yesterday you did. That's for sure. i know you did but i sent you a picture and if that picture ever sees the light of day of <laughs> me sitting on my couch I'll be looking my, for a new uh, a new job. Yes, absolutely. So um, that was fun. And just a, a fun day overall yesterday. I mean, I, I think let's just start with so much yesterday with being the last game in uh, the, with the West Side of Reeser. It was senior day with some guys that really have given a lot to this program and been through a lot. Um, what else? Gosh. Um, yes, the bull. Fiesta Bowl team. Yes. How could I forget that? Throwback the uniforms. Throwback uniforms were like the icing on the cake. And okay, I thought they looked amazing. And I did not know. Tell me, Carter, is that just because I'm old and nostalgic? You're young. Were they cool or not? Yeah. And they were actually even better in person than what you saw on TV or on social media. I mean, it was it was pretty incredible when I stepped onto the field pregame and, and saw them up close. I said, those look about 10 times better than they did in the social media reveal uh, when they posted that video on the, on the Beaver football account. I said, these things turned out so much better than I could have ever imagined. Uh, and, you know, for as cool as the original ones were back in 2000, I think the, the modern twist on these retro uniforms was even cooler looking than those. So uh, it was, it was pretty cool to see them in action for, for a game. And I think, you know, I, I know there are a lot of fans out there who say that Oregon State should just stick with these full time, make them the, the permanent uniforms. And, you know, for some obvious reasons, that's never going to happen. But I, I'm fully on board with them bringing them out for one game every year, because, I mean, these are these are probably some of the best throwback uniforms I've seen in, just in general in football. Yeah. I mean, they, they were incredible. Yeah, I think it would be a, quite a shame if we if we didn't see those at least once a year. I think they should be a once a year special game kind of a uh, kind of a deal. Cause I, they did, except for my old brain. It's, it's funny because I, I don't know if I tweeted or put this in the lodge. I can't remember why I went upstairs sometimes, but yet 20 years later, these guys are on the field and I like, I see 35 Everett Hayes and I'm immediately think Ken Simonton or I, you know, I saw, um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Number five, that pick that uh, Alex Austin had right away. And immediately my brain went to Mitch Musin. So yeah, brains are, an, an amazing thing but that's and I know I wasn't alone so thank goodness for that because I know a lot of our, our listeners reached out on on social media and told me that no I was not alone on that 
but it was kind of trippy there for a while. But such a, a fun game, such an electric atmosphere, smaller crowd, but the the, the fans were in it. Um, and then it, it rewind a little bit to the before our game, before the Oregon State game was the Oregon-Utah game, which I was really looking forward to. And talk about a butt kicking. Did you, were you able to, you probably didn't watch much of that because you were at Reeser, but um, Utah dominated. And I think they gave a really good blueprint on how Oregon State should attack. I caught the entire first half and uh, it was, it was really fun to watch. I'll, I'll say that the, uh, the, the Britain Covey punt return touchdown to end the first half was one of the more electric plays I've seen against the ducks in a long, long time. And you mentioned it, you know, Kyle Whittingham did Jonathan Smith an absolutely massive favor. He, he put on film, Hey, this is how you beat Oregon. This is all you got to do. And, and, and I, it, I think, I think the matchup lines up really well for Oregon state. It does. I mean, I, I look at Oregon state and they're very similar in, in the personnel that Utah has. And I, they built their program very similar to what Utah has done. It's, it's a smash mouth. You know, we saw a lot of double tight ends that Utah was using a, a heavy dose of run game. Um, no, I, I think it's, it's right there on film and I'm anxious to see how Oregon reacts to getting punched in the mouth like that. Um, this is a team now that's out of the running for the, the national championship. How are they going to react? Are they going to be bitter and hang their heads? Or are they going to be ready to uh, come out and, and punch the beef? So um, the game formerly known as Civil War is Saturday, 1230 kick ESPN. Um, big one, big one. But let's go back and let's, let's talk about the game that was uh, Saturday against Arizona State. I think, was I the only staff member that picked a loss? Uh, I was right there with you. We were the only ones. We were the only ones. Um, And it wasn't, I I didn't mean disrespect to Oregon State, but I really thought the defense would struggle to contain Jaden Daniels. Um, Boy, Carter, I'm I'm happy to be wrong. Yeah, I was more on the other side of that. I I thought the offense was going to struggle to score against Arizona State's defense, which is, I mean, pretty much has either a senior or a graduate student at every single position and um, leads the conference and mm-hmm. rushing yards allowed, I believe, total yeah. yards for total. sure. Yeah. Um, and, and points too. So I think they were I, I 18th knew, I, in total defense. Yeah. I, I knew it was going to be difficult for Oregon State to move the ball. Beavers only scored 24 points, which is obviously pretty low for this team. But, um, the key was that they just needed to do enough to win. And that's exactly what happened. Look, fortunately, the defense was able to contain Jaden Daniels and Rashad White, um, holding Rashad White to 39 yards after what he had done the last two weeks, racking up almost 500 yards across two games, incredible showing by the defense. And so, um, you know, the, the defense really only allowing three points. If you, you take away that touchdown on that, on that incredibly short field where we're, um, where Arizona state started at the four yard line, Oregon state didn't need to score a ton of points. So kind of um, your, your concern was, was met by, by Oregon state executing at a higher level than you thought, which led to them taking care of the concerns I had. Yeah, no, I, I was blown away. And, and that game didn't even feel um, like it was in question. Honestly, I, I, we were watching They did get within seven, um, but gosh, okay. So first story of the game, how about the hammer? That 47 yard run by him. I mean, we know we can get the short yards, but to watch him do that, I mean, seriously, what can't Jake or Jack Coletto do? 
Well, I, I think the most impressive part of that is that he outran the entire Arizona State secondary. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, I mean, it, it seemed like, you know, you, you get to the the 20-yard line and these guys have an angle on you and it's it's a matter of can you outrun them to the, the end zone from there and you got to give him credit because he sprinted past those guys. I mean, he, he beat them. It's, it's not like he dragged them a couple of yards, broke tackles or anything. He just straight up beat them to the end zone. So that's pure speed. Yeah. And he doesn't look fast when he's running, but you're right. That was impressive. But I think the story of the night and really the story of the past two weeks, but I think more so against ASU was the play of the Oregon state defense, um, especially given uh, that they were without their best player, Avery Roberts, for about three quarters of that game. Well, the credit obviously goes to Trent Bray, but I, I think since you mentioned the Avery Roberts absence, we have to talk about Kyrie Fisher, who mm -hmm. comes in late in the first quarter. Avery Roberts leaves with an ankle injury. We'll get updates on him uh, tomorrow, Monday, from Jonathan Smith. But Kyrie Fisher comes in, leads Oregon State in tackles with nine. That's a career high. Uh, he recorded half a sack. He assisted with Keontae Shad on, on Jaden Daniels at the five-yard line late in the fourth quarter. Uh, and, and he made three plays in the backfield as well with three quarterback hurries. So just the presence all over the field by Kyrie Fisher and, and to come in and do that off of the bench uh, in a game where you're not starting says a lot about his mindset, says a lot about his maturity, and I, I think says a lot about his skill level too. Well, and then let's talk about that defense because um... – and Beavers were without Cody Anderson as well. Um, we saw Keontae Shad step up big time um, and play more snaps probably than he's used to. That defense, it, is, it looks like an, a completely different defensive unit. Well, it's night and day. It, it totally is. And, you know, for as, as many players as Arizona State was missing for various reasons, you know, down a couple of tight ends, um, injuries up and down that roster. But Arizona State, minus a couple of key players, is still such a better unit than California, Colorado. And these are teams that beat Oregon State, you know, pretty handily on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, and so to see what Trent Bray was able to do to come in here, revitalize the unit, um, go in and have a really strong showing against Stanford, but then prove it against Arizona State. That's the key. They went in and proved it against one of the better offenses in the conference, in my opinion, because you've got the two-headed monster of Jane Daniels and Rashad White, which makes probably the most potent rushing attack in the conference, save for Oregon State with B.J. Baylor. So uh, to, to slow that down to the extent they did, to force a turnover on the second play from scrimmage, um, and, then, and then to get pressure on the quarterback, make that sack, like I said, at the five-yard line to force a punt when Arizona State desperately needs points. I mean, th these are all huge plays. Uh, it's a testament to execution. It's a testament to the energy that the guys are playing with and the confidence they have in the scheme. And then the scheme itself for putting them in positions to be successful. You know, you have to love, you have to love to see blitzes on third down. You have to love to see the various formations and, and personnel packages. Uh, just this entire defensive operation is it's firing on all cylinders right now. And it's really exciting. It is. And, and, you know, going into it um, with the dismissal of Tim Tibisar. Um, it, it was interesting because we had, a, we had some discussion about, you know, will this, will we see a, a vastly different defense because, um, you know, it's the same personnel, but this, this 
statistic was striking to me. So in 31 Pac-12 conference games um, during Tim Tibisar's, um time as defensive coordinator, the defense never held an opponent to 14 or less points in a game. In first two games, as first two Pac-12 games as the defensive coordinator, Trent Brace's defense has done just that. Pretty remarkable, right? Crazy. So, I mean, that tells you just how important coaching is. And, and just uh, same guys. This is the same group of guys. Um, it's not like they suddenly just got better. This is scheme. This is, um, you know, and I, and I know I said we couldn't be fast to make a decision. You know, Coach Smith would have to, and I'm sure he will interview, but what, what are your feelings? And this was going to be a damn question, but I think this is just a good topic to talk about. I said on Twitter and that second to last drive when Oregon state um, had that sack that put pinned Arizona state back to the four yard line and they had a punt. I, I went on social media and said, okay, well, I've seen enough now. This Trent make Trent Bay permanent. What do you think Trent Bay and his defense have to do at Oregon? Or what do you think he has to do to prove he's the guy? Well, I'm, I'm going to lead with this. So Kyrie Fisher was asked after the game why Oregon State's defense is playing so much better right now, why, why the last two weeks have gone so well for the group. He said, these are the first two words out of his mouth, Trent Bray. He, he, he pinpointed Trent Bray as, as the main reason. And I mean, I think it's clear, right? Like you had a 31-game sample size with Tim Tibisar and you, know, you knew what you were getting. These two weeks, this is the best defense we've seen Oregon State play under Jonathan Smith. So Trent Bray, Trent Bray has proven um, that, that he can go out and get results. So now what he has to do to answer your question, go out and replicate that against Oregon. And I think you're going to have the support of not only the fan base. Um, well, he's already gained the, the support of the players, that's for sure. But you'll gain the support of the entire fan base and, and probably Jonathan Smith too. I, I think if Trent Bray goes out and, and puts together another solid game plan and, and garners the execution from his players that we've seen in the last two games, I think without a doubt, he's going to be the guy for the permanent job. And I know the sample size even then will be small at three games, but you can't discount the improvement um, and, and the extent to which this defense is so much better under yeah. his leadership. I mean, it's striking. Uh, you can't, you I mean, can't this... discount that in, in yeah. three games. I mean, it's, and these are Pac-12 opponents. I mean, these are the guys that you're going to be going up against game in and game out. Um, and, and a couple of the top teams in the conference might be yeah, with yeah. Arizona State and then coming and up Oregon. with Oregon. And then you have a bowl game too. So um, no, I, I agree. And, you know, it's, it's always, you, know, you never know these guys that have never been a coordinator. Um, and I think that that's a, hard, that's a hard thing for coaches to take the chance on that guy to give him his first opportunity. But um, I think this is working out really well for, for Trent Bray. And that he's getting kind of, you know, a, a, a shot to show what he can do. And um, he's proving, I think, doubters wrong. And like you said, I, what do you say? I mean, if you hold Oregon to what, 24 points or less? Shoot, I mean, yeah, I, I'd say so. I, I think if we're being completely honest with ourselves, Oregon State's got a shot to hold them to well fewer than that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Oregon's offense under with with Anthony Brown at quarterback, I don't think is anything special. You saw what Utah did to him yeah. last night. So, They've had here's a, here's a stat for you, Carter. I I think I read this from John Canzano, but I'm not positive where this came from because it, it made me kind of stop in my tracks. They've had three pass plays over 40 yards, which that just seems crazy, but it, it makes sense, I guess. 
there's no explosiveness whatsoever. And I think that's something that Oregon State can take advantage of because one of the, you know, one of the key drawbacks of the Tim Tibisar defense was the amount of explosive plays that they gave up. And that's something that we have not seen pretty much any of uh, with Trent Bray as, as the leader. So that's, you know, that is one of the many matchups in this game that I really like uh, going in, in Oregon State's favor. I, I, I think there are many things that they can um, kind of look at and say, yeah, we've, we've got a real advantage in this category. And that's that's certainly one of them. After seeing the Utah game and after seeing Oregon State at ASU, watching, I watched both full games. I I don't know. I If I'm Oregon State, I'm feeling pretty confident. Not that I'm going to go in and, and pull a Utah on Oregon, but um, I have to like my chances going to Eugene and, and potentially pulling a, an upset and uh, on the road winning in at Austin. So it'll be interesting. I, I game prep, you know, what it feels like one program is, is riding high right now and um, has beat all expectations. And another program is not living up to expectations. And it'll be interesting to see how both react to those, those positions. I'd like, you know, civil war. I'm, I don't want to make this a super long pod. I want you to be able to finish up your work tonight and get some rest, but because it is a busy week, but any, any civil war memory? What is your favorite? Okay. I, I call it, well, it was civil war when we used to go. So Carter, what is your, your most favorite civil war memory? Well, I guess technically by that standard, I, I can't say it's my best civil war memory. Cause it was probably last year. To okay. Be honest well, with you. The game formerly um, known as civil war. Although I don't know that's tough because I've only seen two, two Oregon state wins in person in this rivalry series. Um, I'll, I'll keep it, I guess, PC for the, the sake of the pod. Um, even though I, I slipped up in the lodge yesterday and called it the civil war. I, I give, give me a new name to call it and I'll, I'll stick to it. But at, for 20 plus years of my life, I called it the civil war. So forgive me. Yes. Um, and I'm and 40 plus years of my life. Yeah. Been the civil yeah. War, so. so 20, 2016, you know, that stands out. That was the first one I saw in person and it was a monumental victory because it ended the decade long streak. Uh, Ryan Knoll had an incredible performance. And was that Ryan Knoll's best, duck hunting one? Yep. One of the okay. best celebrations I've ever seen. And uh, you, you kind of felt like Oregon State was starting to turn things around. Obviously, we know how that ended. But <laughs> I think people can remember kind of the feeling that that game gave that said, we're over the hump. You know, next year is just next year is going to be the equivalent of what this year has been for Jonathan Smith. That's what we all expected after that big win over Oregon. Um, and, to, you know, to, to stand out in the rain at Reeser for a full 60 minutes and then to see the fans rush the field and to just kind of take in the moment. That was, it was a really special game uh, to witness. But then last year, I, I think also the fact that, you know, I was one of the very few people in the building and that fans, you know, obviously weren't able to witness that huge win. Uh, and, and the way that it ended too, with Chance Nolan diving into the end zone on his first FBS play, um, it, it was one of the greatest college football games I have seen just in general, an incredible game by both sides. You know, you, you can't write a game script any better than the way that unfolded. Um, and, and for it to happen the way it did for Oregon State to win against Oregon like that just made it all the more special. And so to be one of the few to see it in person, that's something that that I'll never forget. And 
that's that's really you know kind of a special moment in my uh in my time watching Oregon State football those are good games I I will have to go um I it's probably the easy answer but um 98 the 98 Civil War that's before Carter was born but um that game single-handedly was probably the most magical football game and that and I and I say that because it was even more magical to me than that 99 getting over you know the the winning season hump um 98 was just magical there was something about it that double overtime ken simonton i still actually have a piece of that end zone um that they tore up in my garage you know 20 plus years later so um that game to me i was i was with a bunch of friends it was before i met eric um in fact actually i met eric um on i left the day after that civil war game I was on a flight went to Hawaii with some girlfriends and was on the flight with Enoki Brechterfield's parents um, and family. And uh, we were all celebrating that game. And, and then while I was gone on that trip is when Mike Riley left for the Chargers. So you go from this ultimate high to this like low. And then next thing you know, Dennis Erickson was hired, um, which, wow. Okay. That was awesome seeing coach Erickson on the sideline um, down there yesterday. So, um, and, and the gov, um, Greg Smith and, there's some great, great faces I saw pictures of. So anyway, that to me was the ultimate 100% best Civil War um, ever. Um, I am, I was talking to my father-in-law. Um, we're with um, my in-laws this week for Thanksgiving. And he, he brought up the point that him and Eric had gone to Autzen in 2007 um, and watched that win. That was a huge one. Um, so he talks about how he's 1-0 watching games formerly known as civil war so the, the um, james rogers fly sweep is one the of my james favorite, rogers fly one of my sweep. favorite That's... not only civil war memories but just general oregon state football memories that one player in particular probably my favorite play of, of all time yeah yep. james rogers as, as i've gone on record many times is one of my favorite players of all time that i've covered um and that was funny how that one lined up with kind of the 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 play um it was like the same they've been able to superimpose them um, with Ken Simonton, you know, running to the end zone um, and avoiding a tackle. Um, but yeah, James Rogers is right there. But um, I'd be remiss if, you know, I, I know I've, got, I've talked about, you know, Mike Doctor and, and James Rogers are two of my all-time favorites that I've covered, covered a lot. But um, I have to say that Trevon Bradford and Andre Hughes-Marie are right there and um, senior day yesterday for them. So um, very, very cool. I want to try to get into some damn questions. You, you up for a couple damn questions? Yeah, bring it on. Let's go. Bring it on. Look at this. He is, he is jazzed here. Let me pull these up. Hopefully we have good memories from the 2021 Civil War coming up because I, there, this is, this I, it was kind of funny because I'm like, Oregon State hasn't been relevant and like in the discussion for years. So it's kind of strange that we're being asked to be on radio shows and Carter and I have a busy week this week. Well, I mean, th this game has major implications, not only for um, for these two schools, but for the conference and, and for bowl season. And so, yeah, this is we're almost and we could very well be back to this level. But as it stands now, you know, we're awaiting the result of the, the Apple Cup on Friday, but we're almost back to 2008, 2009 yeah. level implications where, you know, winner goes to the Rose Bowl or if one team wins, they go to the Rose Bowl. That's that's it's where crazy. We're at. If, if if Washington wins uh, on Friday in the Apple Cup, this is the Pac-12 North Championship game. 
that's pretty cool. And then Carter, then we we have got to figure out how we're getting to Vegas to cover this. Like I mean, last I'm, minute. I'm not counting counting my chickens before they hatch or anything, <laughs> but uh, but I, I I will I'll have that in the back of my mind. Hey, that was okay. I was like with the, the men's basketball team in the uh, in the, the conference tournament this year. You know, when they made it to the semifinals, I was thinking about it, but I wasn't going to vocalize it. But I yeah, was thinking, yeah. You know, am I going to need to look at flights? No, a lot Hopefully has to I happen. A, a lot has to happen. So, um, but realistically, seven and four right now, heading into the final game of the season. And you say a lot has to happen. Well, even more had to happen before this past weekend and things, you know, started falling yeah. into place. Oregon yeah. State took care of business. It got the help it needed from Utah. Just needs a little bit more help and has to take care of business one more time. It's, look, I mean, we're, we're past the point of saying crazier things have happened. We're, we're at the point now where we can say this, I mean, this could very well happen. It could happen. It, I know. And then, and then bowl games. I mean, we're going bowling. And we, we've kind of celebrated this now. This is the second week, but has that really sunk in? I mean, we are going to be someplace at the end of December. Kind of exciting. Okay. So Beaver Nation 56 asks, realistically, how much of a raise does Jonathan Smith get after this season? I don't know. I'll let you, I'll let you speculate on the number, but I will say that he deserves a raise in some capacity because he cannot by any means be the 12th highest paid coach in this conference after this year, after what he's done. I mean, he's probably going to win Pac-12 coach of the year. He and, better. If he doesn't, and if he doesn't, it's a crime. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think you can give the Pac-12 yeah, coach I, of the year the, the lowest salary of, of anybody out there, especially yeah. considering what he's done. You know, yeah, look at yeah. what, look at where the program was when he took it over to where it is now you can't tell me that he's deserving of the lowest salary in the PAC 12. Well, and I love it. There's been a big discussion in the lodge about, you know, him being a, a candidate at Washington and, and I know Nick Daschle asked him about that. And I mean, he didn't really answer it. And of course he doesn't, he can't answer it because honestly, he's not talking to anybody right now. His agents are the ones talking to people, but um, I don't, as long as Scott Barnes can put together a package that, because I think the big, key for him and this was always the big key for Riley as well so you know you don't need to make a ton of money in Corvallis but I say that but at the same time you as a coach you've got to strike when the iron's hot because you're one season away from everybody wanting you to be fired and, and being well making nothing and and you're seeing this in men's basketball right now with Wayne Tinkle getting the extension and the raise that he did last year. And now, you know, you start the season one and four and everybody's calling for your job again. Yeah. yeah. So you're exactly right. These opportunities to capitalize and, and, and to kind of bet on yourself a little bit are few and far between in Corvallis. Yeah. So, and so you need, you need Smith, a strike. Smith needs to, Smith needs to leverage his wins. If, if but he I, can. I also think it's important for Smith to keep, the coaches that he has that he feels good about in place. So that is where he might say, I need more money from a Holacek and Lindgren and a D coordinator and keeping those coaches in place, because that's a huge piece to this puzzle is I think he was so meticulous about making these hires. Um, they are good fits. And, and at the end of the day, the Smith and some of these coaches want to uproot their families. They all have young kids. Um, do they want to uproot? families and, and move them. But um, yeah, I'm not going to get well, on numbers either, but um, I, I, not... I will say, you know, in, in true Jonathan Smith fashion, would I be incredibly surprised to see him turn down a huge raise to 
potentially, you know, give some of that money to his assistants to keep him on board and, and elevate a guy like Trent Bray to defensive coordinator? Absolutely not. I would not be surprised. He's the, he's the kind of coach and the kind of person that would do that, that would say, yeah. you know, we only have so much money to go around in this athletic department right now. And I'm committed to keeping the staff intact. I'm committed to bringing Trent Bray, Trent Bray back in a full-time position. And with that comes a raise. Um, I, I, I think you could see that. I, I think yeah. you could see Smith, see Smith either not take a raise at all or, or take a smaller one to, to boost the, the salaries of some of his assistants. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a good mix right now. And like we've talked about time and time again on the pod, where this program was when he took over as far, I mean, it was, it was probably at one of the lowest points I've ever seen. The, the players were down. So many of them were ready to quit football because it wasn't fun. And to change the culture and to, to flip things like he has and have guys believing, have fans believing, it's, it's feeling good right now. Um, what's the temporary plan for media and coaches boxes next year with the West Side poured down? I believe they're going to be putting in kind of like a, um, like a temporary type side. I, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but um, media will, media and coaches will be on the side they're on now with fans all on the old new side, the new old side. The, east the new side. old side. Yes, the east side. <laughs> um, somebody, the Mad Beaver says maybe a fleet of scissor lifts. That would be cold. Yeah, these, um, uh, these November night games, 30 degrees out there against Arizona state. I, I don't know if I can get behind that idea. Yeah. Okay. Yakov says, realistically, what assistance might be replaced this off season is our linebacker coach in place or will we look to hire from outside the program? Well, I, I mean, I expect Trent Bray to get the defensive coordinator position at, at this rate. So I think then you do look for an inside linebackers coach and you know, I think I think you would probably go out of the program at, at that point. Um, Kendrick Van Ackeren is is the the interim inside linebackers coach, but you know, as a GA, I, I don't know if they're looking to promote him. I, I think they probably go outside the program, look for a really strong recruiter, because you know Trent Bray can help assist the inside linebackers as well. Um, and right now he's just actually kind of doing both. Um, so bring in somebody that can recruit that position, let Trent coach a little bit and see, see where that takes you. Okay. Mr. G gray. This is a good one, Carter. Who is your ideal bowl opponent for an exciting, evenly matched game? Thinking the team has enough national cachet to elevate OSU's reputation, but also a realistic team that we could beat tie-ins are mountain West for the LA bowl, big 10 for Vegas or ACC for Sun Bowl. So I, I saw this question before we came on and I gave it a little bit of thought and it's, it's unfortunate because there is a matchup that I really, really want to see for a lot of the reasons that the question outlines, but it puts Oregon state in a bowl that I don't want them going to. Okay. And I think, I think you can kind of see where I'm going with this, but it puts Oregon state in the sun bowl, but Oregon state versus Clemson. How awesome would that be? You get the national brand of Clemson, a team that has been, you know, one of the most, if not the most dominant team in college football over the last four or five years, huge name program going into a bowl game against Oregon state up and coming program. It's got nothing to lose. Clemson probably doesn't want to be in El Paso. You know, you know, Oregon state does. 
Oregon State wins that game. Oregon State beats Clemson in a bowl game. That's big. But it's big. Do you want to go to you want to go to El Paso? I'm just saying. No, I'm just saying. That's that's the best match I'm thinking. I don't about, even but... like margaritas, Parker. <laughs> it would be cold in El Paso, so we're it used would. to that. But it will be sunny, so hopefully. You know, so Eric went to the Sun Bowl year. I don't even know what year it was. The first year that they went to the Sun Bowl, and. Rihanna was the halftime performer before Rihanna was anything. I still laugh about that one. Um, okay. So any other bowl game matchups you'd like to see? That's the only matchup that comes to mind. Um, I, I just know that I want Oregon state to go to pretty much any bowl besides that one. Um, I, I don't think I would love to see Oregon state in the LA bowl just because that is tied to the mountain West. And I think what Oregon state has done this year and, just how good this team is. I, I don't think a Mountain West matchup in a bowl game would would drive kind yeah. of the uh, the excitement that I think that this bowl game deserves. So okay, so anything, when games... anything above the the LA Bowl that is not the, the Sun Bowl, I'm okay with, and I don't <laughs> care who they play. But the Sun Bowl would be pretty sweet to be able to play, like you said, Clemson. Okay, um, do we know injury E Farm six two four injury status for Civil War? Um, I, you know, we're not going to get anything, even on Avery. The good news was Avery walked out on his own power. Carter saw him leave the Valley Center, which is some ice on his ankle. So not in a boot. Um, We're not going to get anything. It's going to be so tight-lipped. Everybody's going to be day-to-day. I can can almost hear Coach Smith tomorrow or on Monday saying day-to-day. He's not going to give any Levin good, none none of them. We're going to monitor it throughout the week and, and make a decision on Thursday. That's typically how that one goes. Um, Roberts, you know, like Angie said, I saw him leaving Valley Football Center yesterday, walking off under his own power, no crutches, no boot, no nothing, just a small ice pack on his ankle. I think he's going to try to play even if he's not 100%. But that being said, if he doesn't, we already saw what Kyrie Fisher can yeah, do. Exactly. So, you know, I, I think Oregon State's going to be just fine with or without him. Um, at that position. Tyjon Lindsay was warming up before the game against ASU. He didn't have a catch. And quite frankly, I don't know how much he played if at all. I wasn't really. He did. He had one catch, but it was deemed out of bounds. Like he had it put out of bounds, but so he did get in, but I I don't think he played a bunch. Mm -hmm. I would expect to see his role maybe expand a little bit this week. Um, Levin good with the way that his injury has progressed. I, I'm not too optimistic about that one, especially since he re-injured it when he did come back against Colorado. He also says, what's the story with gums? Yeah. Can't dive into that right now because we don't know enough. We we've heard the speculation, but don't want to, to dive in on that. Cause I don't know enough to, it's not the field incident. We'll just leave it at that is what I've been told. Um, but he's with the program. He's still with the team, so it's nothing. Yeah, I, I saw him yesterday. He was yeah. he was on the field before the game wearing his jersey. He wasn't in uniform. Yeah, but yeah. He's with the team. So he's with that's... the team. So yeah, don't don't start jumping to conclusions. It's we'll leave it at that. So Fenwick was in a boot and crutches. So that one might be one to watch, but yep. sometimes they can be um, just super precautious. But that doesn't sound good if he's in a boot and crutches on the sideline. Um Beaver fan 56 says, what do you think the Beavs need to do to get a win versus the Ducks on Saturday? Run the ball, run it some more. And that's about it on offense. I mean, we, we've seen 
how is Oregon State beat Oregon when it has you know the last couple of times? It's it's running the ball, and that's no different this year. That's that is literally the key to beating them. And you saw Utah do it with Tavion Thomas on Saturday. Um, give give BJ Baylor a bunch of carries, mix it up with Trey Lowe. Even if Deshaun Fenwick's not healthy, I think Oregon State's going to be just fine in that department. But and double Oregon tight State ends. Has, yep. Uh, yes. Double yes. tight ends. Yeah. Bring in Jack Coletto at fullback. Bring in Jake Overman as a third tight end. That's something that Oregon State has done all year, and so that's an advantage for Oregon State. Yeah. You know, this isn't like some new game plan they have to put in this week. This is just—it's their bread and butter, quite frankly. It's what they do for most of the game to begin with. So basically, they just have to. That is they have that to, is the key. Yeah, they have to, and and yeah, run the ball and and watch for Kayvon Thibodeau because Thibodeau's the—it's like a one-man wrecking crew, and well, you stop and, him. And, and, and that's the thing, you know, Oregon State can load two or three tight ends on his side and you've gotten the automatic double or triple team on him. Yeah. So that that in many ways takes care of itself just by the nature of the offense that Oregon State's been running for the last 11 games. Yeah, I love this match. I mean, I, I do like the matchup this year, especially Duck fans are kind of, they're a little salty right now. I, I read somewhere, some, they you know, they like to refer to the Beavers as the rodents. And it was right after the game and somebody said, wait, and the rodents put at 42 on this Utah team and beat Stanford who they and beat Stanford. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Yakov says had Smith jettisoned Tibbs earlier this season. Could we have been, could it have been more, been more rewarding with two or three more wins? I think this is an interesting one because the answer to that is yes. Like if, if Tibisar was not on the sidelines or, or in the booth for the Cal and Colorado games, Oregon state would be atop the Pac-12 North right now. And, and the favorite to go to the, the Pac-12 championship, they'd be a, a nine win team looking for their 10th win. But the problem with that is, and, and I said this last night to a, a couple other media members in, in a sick and twisted way, those losses needed to happen because that was the only way Tim Tibisar was going to be relieved of his duties. Um, but look at what's happened since then. You know, I think if, if Oregon state fans wanted a, a seven win season going into the year, I, I think the trade-off that, that you make giving up those two games to Cal and Colorado to beat Stanford and ASU I, I think that's probably a trade you're willing to make when you see what kind of potential Trent Bray has at defensive coordinator, because I, I think, you know, losing those two games in many ways was a blessing because what you're seeing now is a defensive coordinator who can take this defense to new heights, yeah. um, who could very well be the defensive coordinator of the future for this program. Uh, and who gives Oregon state, in my opinion, a chance to win every single game on its schedule right now, which could include a Pac-12 championship, could include a Rose Bowl. We don't even know yet. <laughs> okay, so back to the bowl, because now I'm, I'm scrolling through here. So the Holiday Bowl, who had representatives at the game, that is actually a tie-in with the ACC as well. So could you imagine playing at the Holiday Bowl, playing Clemson or Miami? Okay, no, I didn't think about that one. So give me Clemson in the Holiday Bowl, and then you get the best of both worlds, because you I get know. an incredible Diego. matchup in San Diego at Petco Park. I mean, seriously. In, in a great bowl, by the way. The holiday in a great bowl, bowl is a great yeah. bowl. Yeah. Okay, so there's that one. And then, so our family is kind of, Eric's been to the Alamo Bowl when the Bees were there, and he said that's the best bowl he's been to. So back when the Bees were going to bowls, that's when our kids were really little. So I didn't go. I stayed home with the kids and sent Eric. Um, he said the Alamo Bowl is like, the, it's the greatest bowl he's been to. That's Big 12. 
I, I'd take that too. But I yeah, do like the probably, Clemson matchup. You're probably looking at a matchup against Oklahoma there. Yeah, but I still like the I like the Clemson Holiday Bowl matchup. Give me Clemson or Miami in the in the, in San Diego. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah that that's better because I like Oregon State's chances of beating Clemson more than I do the second place team in the Big Twelve because, like I said, right now it looks like you're probably getting Oklahoma, but it's you know Baylor and Oklahoma State. Depending on how that shakes out, you're getting one of those three teams. Um, I, I think Oregon State's got a better chance of beating Clemson than any of those three, to, to be honest. But how cool. I mean, we, we can sit and debate this all night long, and we just don't know because it comes down to Apple Cup on Friday night at 5, and then the game, formerly known as Civil War, next Saturday at 12.30. Then we'll know some more. We'll have a little more clarity. Maybe not a lot, but we'll have some. Um, yeah, we're, we're gonna have to wait. We're gonna have to wait until the college football playoff selection show. I, I think because I, I believe they still reveal all of the bulls on that show. Yeah, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. I and think it's it's probably gonna be a situation where unless Oregon State is playing for the Rose Bowl or Alamo Bowl in the Pac-12 championship, we're, we're be not gonna know picks. because yeah, these because know. these bulls. When it comes down to it, these bulls do pretty much get to pick who they get. It doesn't come down to standings as much as people think yeah. um, so it's, it's going to be wait and see how cool is it that the beavers are relevant they are relevant in thanksgiving week for the first time and i can't remember when um it's going to be a busy week carter um we have lots i know you and i both will have um lots of media requests the lodge will be busy um we have lots of fun kind of planned for um this week and our guest picker, I'm trying to expand guest picker this week to former players. So I've reached out to a bunch of former players and asked for their help and, and getting me some more. So it might be a, a very large pool is what I'm hoping for. Um, if you are a former player and you are listening to this, please DM me your score pick for um, Oregon this week. And, and a blurb, you know, a paragraph, a couple yeah. sentences if you want. It's always fun when we hear thoughts on the game updates on on former players lives and what's going yeah, what on you're doing. with, their, with exactly. their careers personal lives you know you name it um so to, to have a, a full roster of former players for our staff picks this week would be pretty fun it would be fun and i love hearing we we all love hearing from you and like you like carter said what you're doing your family and and i'll say the the uh, the guest pickers are pretty high on the standings right now as well. So join in. You've got a chance to be part of something special going on with the guest pickers right now. Second place. That's right. That's right. So um, hope to hear from some of you guys. Um, Carter, I want you to get better. Drink lots of water. Take some NyQuil or whatever you take because it's going to be a busy week. We got lots planned. And uh, let me just say first to you, Carter, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Thank you. I'm so thankful and grateful for all you do for the site and all the hard work you're putting in. Um, we couldn't be where we are without you. So thank you. And uh, thank you to all our members for uh, making sure Beaver Blitz is your destination for Beaver News. We will Likewise. be back next week, hopefully talking some fun, maybe victory talk or hashing out what happened. Stick with beaverblitz.com. Actually, and also we usually plug a, a special. I don't know what the special is exactly yet, but stay tuned if you're not a member because Black Friday is coming up right before um, the Oregon game. And typically 24-7 rolls out something pretty good for Cyber Monday and Black Friday. So 
keep an eye out on that. But Carter and I will be back next week for another episode of the Damn Podcast. <laughs>